can a powerhouse woman under pressure tune into her pleasure? Can you be sharp in the boardroom and soft in the bedroom? Welcome to the Leader and Lover podcast. I'm your host, Cherise Spigner. We will take a journey and explore all aspects of Black women and having it all. We'll talk about relationship, career, status, religion, spirituality, love, and sex, all the things that contribute to the total us. So please join us as we take the journey on the Leader and Lover podcast, because girl, you definitely can have it all. So thank you, everyone. This is Cherie Spigner, host of the Leader and Lover podcast. And I am so excited for today's guest. We are talking to Magda Miles. And interesting, social media is a very powerful tool. I was scrolling on Instagram and I scrolled across this IG story with a woman just speaking such positive words that spoke to me. I did a little research and she is a Philly John. And you guys know I love Philly. And so I reached out to her and said, I've got to have you in my universe. And she obliged me to be on the podcast. So Mazda, I am so happy that you are here today. And I start out with asking everyone the same question. What does having it all mean to you? So having it all means to me that as women in particular, we can have it all. Like we can have great love. We can have great family. We can have a great career. We can have a great future. We can have great fitness. We literally can have it all, despite the fact that I think society, and I think sometimes the way that we've been raised tells us differently, I believe that we can. Awesome. So I'll come back to that. But the next question, what are misconceptions about having it all? I think there's one saying that always used to get on my nerves when people would be like, if it's not one thing, it's enough. Meaning there's always going to be badness happening. And so I feel like the misconception is if it's going well in one area of your life, you can expect negativity or turmoil in another area of your life. And you're set up to start to think that. And then if something shows up, you almost accept it. Because you've been predispositioned to think you can't have it all. Uh, And so that's a big misconception that I think just is just rampant. And I'm all about just killing that. Oh, stop talking to my 10 year ago self, please. (laughs) Just stop. (laughs) Always. It's going too good. Something's going to happen. You start looking for it. Where is it? You look around the corner. You might make it up. Because you're just waiting. A self-fulfilling prophecy. Because I'm not worthy to have it all, right? Come on here. So what has been your journey to having it all? Yeah, so my journey has been redefining the idea of having it all. I don't know how many folks on here will be spiritual. My background is Christian. And there's a scripture that talks about life and life more abundantly. And I remember one day I was studying that scripture. And when I went to the Greek word abundantly, I always assumed that meant overflow. That's what I was taught. That's what I assumed that because because that's abundant. That's what we think in English. But when you go back to the translation, the transliteration, all of that, of the actual Greek word that is used there, it actually means like a well-rounded, right, life, that you would have a well-rounded, right, on every side. It would be good on every side. And that shifted my thinking years ago. And it made me go, wait a minute, I have it wrong. 
I have it wrong. It is not that if it's not one thing, it's another and something else is going to happen and look for create self-fulfilling prophecies. I realized that I can have it all. And not only that, but the God that I believe in and the spirituality that I have actually confirms this. And so I'm going to take this and I'm going to take the bull by its horns. I'm going to ride this out. And so my journey was like, as I accepted that and I internalized that and I digested it, if it's not one thing, then it's another stop happening to me because I was setting myself up for something different. I stopped looking for something to go wrong. So my journey was just being like, no, yes, I can have that too. So yes, I can build my career. And yes, I can be financially sound. And you know what? This year I'm gonna work on my fitness. And now I'm gonna do this. And you know what? I'm gonna launch another venture. And never in my mind now do I think, well, what else is gonna go wrong? I'm just like, we got it, let's go. So that's been my journey. I love that. Love it. Love it because I am a total mindset freak and I'm all about, again, that whole 10 years ago, getting work on myself, recognizing that I wasn't living my optimal life and trying to take some stock into myself and figure out why and clearing out some of those baggage and parental relationships and why I can't have a successful relationship and being real clear on what I was bringing to the table in some of that dysfunction and toxicity and coming to the realization that, girl, you are sabotaging yourself for no reason at all. Right. (laughs) For no reason at all. Right. So yeah, that is so liberating. You touched on something about society and family. And some of the things I want to really explore in these conversations is what do you think those cultural norms are that maybe impact us I was having another conversation with Dr. Small and she was talking about she was doing all the things right in the right timing, but kind of dying inside. What are your thoughts about that? I think societally, especially specifically as Black women, we have been taught to carry everything, carry the world on our back. Black women to the rescue. And if that means I got to give up hopes and I have to give up dreams and I have to give up the things that I want, we have been basically conditioned to believe that it's our job to hold everything together. It's our job to make sure everything is fine and everyone else is fine. And so we've been taught that life, it's almost just get it done. You don't have to be happy. You don't have to be joyful. You don't have to get everything that you want out of life. Just survive, survive it, make a good home, take care of your children, your man, if you got one, and that's it. And so I feel like those societal things. And then, of course, we understand the long toward history of our oppression and everything from that perspective. And I think we've been conditioned from that as well, not to expect the good, to expect a hard life, to expect a burdened life. And so those are the societal things that I think that we are faced with and that we're challenged with. And that unfortunately, among all the other things we got to fight through, we have to fight through that and say no and be on some like no means no. I'm not accepting that. I want a better life. I'm going to have a good life and I'm going to do it on my terms. I just turned 42. I'm not married, but I'm also not worried, not from the perspective that I'm not looking forward to a future. I believe I'm going to have everything I want in the relationship that is coming and in the husband that's coming. I know I am. I know what I want. I'm very clear. I feel like every experience brings me closer to my clarity. 
So I am so excited about that for myself, but I'm also not the clock is ticking. And what if you don't have a baby? I'm like, look, either I'm going to have a baby or I'm not. Either way, I'm going to be abundantly joyful and my life is going to be just how it's supposed to be. But I think that's the mindset shift we have to make. You better preach. So first <laughs> of all, you taught me something. I'm a learner. So I, I did not know that abundant meant well-rounded in that way. So thank you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, because I profess abundance all the time. So now it means it has a different layer of meaning. But you, man, you hit on so many points. And one is just unlearning that we don't have to struggle, unlearning that things do not have to be hard, unlearning all those behaviors of our oppression and not feeling that we're worthy to have a wonderful life. And you're absolutely right at 42, sweetie, because I am 50 and I just got engaged to amazing man in the world. And to your point, Every relationship, every experience helped me get clarity and define like what I wanted, but what I didn't want, what served me and what didn't. So when I came into that next relationship and the next relationship, I got a little more clear and a little more clear until perfection came. So people are already saying, you're older, you're inspiring me. Keep hope alive. It's yes, <laughs> encourage me. I love it. I believe in that. I always, and I know some people, and of course you talk about abundance, right? Abundance mindset. I know some people see someone else getting it and they are the opposite. They're like, when's it my turn? I never think that. For whatever reason, when I see someone else getting it, I'm like, well, that means it's happening for me too because they're not any more special than I am. We're all the equally important in this world. So it's going to get delivered to me too. And I just get excited. So I'm excited for you and being excited for you is making me excited for me. Yes. And the other piece of that is, and I was just like you, totally excited about anyone else who had whatever experiences were meant for them and being their cheerleaders, because too many times there's this trope that we can't be happy for each other. Come on here. That we're crabs in a barrel. And we're not necessarily like that. I am such a cheerleader for my girlfriends and they're such a cheerleader for me. And that was always so encouraging. But what it also helped me be is very complete and content in self. So even when I wasn't partnered with someone, I was able to be very content with where I was and understanding and knowing that it was out there for me, but I was very complete regardless of it. I didn't feel that I was missing anything or that I was lonely. I was living the fullest life I could at that moment in that space. And that was my thing. I love it because you're like the future me. Like, and I love seeing it in reality. I've had this thing in my mind of who I am and that it's okay to be this. I've just been trudging forward and happy about it, but it's always amazing to see someone else living that and saying, yeah, girl, I was just like you. And now look, it was the exact right path. I enjoyed my life and I enjoyed every moment and drop of it until the next thing that was meant for me came to me. Yes, absolutely. So I encourage you to stay in that positive space. So just let's take a step back and just give our audience a little bit of taste of who you are, where'd you grow up, what are your family dynamics, who made this amazing person that caught my attention? (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. So I was born in New Jersey, but I stayed there not long at all. I'm a military brat. My parents were in the military and we moved almost immediately. I was just over a year to Anchorage, Alaska. And I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska. And so it was such an interesting experience. It's Anchorage, Alaska really is it's actually noted as one of the most diverse, if not number one, a few years ago, cities in the U.S., actually. And I don't know if it's- Are teaching me all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I don't know if it's because all the military stuff coming in and all of that, but it was an amazing way to grow up. 
I think a lot of the things, a lot of the turmoil, a lot of the tension. My father grew up in the South. My mother's from Panama. And they were intentional about asking to go to Alaska. They felt that it was a clean slate to raise children and that some of the things that were going on in the South and that were going on in the, what we call in Alaska, the lower 48, <laughs> would maybe not have drifted all the way out into Alaska. And they were right. I didn't experience some of the things that we are experiencing now that a lot of people grew up experiencing, honestly, until I came here. When I came to college, I was like, it was almost like the things my father taught me about racism and civil rights. It was like, oh, that was a long time ago. That was back in the olden days. And so when I came here for college, I was like, what's going on? What, what is happening right here? But I'm grateful for that foundation because I didn't just experience some of the trauma, honestly, that other people did in their childhood. I just got to be thankful for that. So I have amazing parents. My mother had a very long military career and retired. My father went into the private sector and was an, an amazing entrepreneur. So that's where I get it from. And so that's what made me. And then I came here to the Philadelphia area, came for college, got into the workforce and years later started my own company. And so now I'm living my own entrepreneurial dream. That's amazing. Yeah, Philly has a way of sucking people in. <laughs> you don't leave Philly. Like people, it's so funny because people are like, oh, I was here and I moved there. I'm like, I'm not leaving. I'm like, listen, I'm not Philly born, but Philly bred kind of. I'm like, I'm yes. here. <laughs> I've been a Philly five years and I feel like I'm Philly bred. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it has influence and I love it. Yes. <laughs> and you have that energy. You could have told me you were Philly bred. I'd have been like, yep. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> It was funny. What did I say? I made a comment in a Facebook group and someone picked up on it. It's, oh, you're from Philly. And it wasn't John. It was, I used the term Brody. And that's a Philly term. Right? And I didn't even recognize it. I was like, oh yeah, something, something, something Brody. And they were like, oh, you're from Philly. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So let's just transition a little bit. You said you did not have to deal with the trauma of living in the lower 48, but was there a cultural shock or a transition? You talked a little bit about not having certain experiences and then coming to the lower 48 and they over there storming the Capitol. So, <laughs> so, so help our listeners just understand what that transition was like as an African-American woman going from Alaska, which shame mm-hmm. on me for not knowing it was that diverse. But coming into what I would guess for the sake of conversation, a more mainstream experience. Yep. Definitely was culture shock. Then I had definitely a shock. I remember being in college and being like, wait, why are we all just sitting over here at the tables? But it was like people engulfed me and said, like, you're on our team. Listen, girl, you black, you with us. And then I noticed like segregation in the lunchroom and all of that. And I was like, what? What is happening here? And then walking down the street, I remember we were downtown one time and I'm walking, hello, hi, how are you? Hello, because that's what you do in Alaska. You look everyone in the eye and you say good morning or good afternoon. And you are rude if you don't do that. And I remember my girlfriend being like, stop it. You won't get us in a fight out here. So those kind of things were really cultural shock. And then me going into the corporate world and, you know, in Alaska, again, like I said, I didn't have those traumas. So all of my gifts and my passion was accepted and respected and my intelligence and my contributions. So coming into corporate in the lower 48 and having to realize and hearing things like, you don't have to get so upset. You don't have to get so angry. And I'm like, who's angry? The angry black woman thing. And the specific, like being called out by superiors that had issues 
with me initiating projects and having input and uh, well, she she should stay in her place. I'm like, wait, what place? If I have something to say, I'm supposed to say it. What, what do you mean stay in my place? So, and I had to learn really how to navigate that and how to be my best self, get what I needed out of every situation. I had to learn those skills in life. Like I didn't, because again, I didn't learn those growing up. I didn't understand any of that. So I had to learn it in it. It was not always easy. I got called quote unquote in the office enough. So-and-so is upset. So-and-so said they're scared of you and like the way you talk to them or whatever. So I had to really learn. I will tell you, I had an amazing boss circa 2008 or so at seven, eight, nine. She was German. She was from Germany. And as you all probably picked up, Germans are behind Black folks, okay? They love us. So y'all saw with all the stuff that happened, how they marched in the streets and they were like, we, this is not right, justice. So she was, of course, she's from Germany. And so she took me under her wing. She was so amazing. And she said, listen, I'm a strong woman. And she was the head of this company. She's a CEO. And she basically taught me, of course, not about my Blackness, but she taught me how to navigate spaces where people don't truly embrace your strength because of who and whatever you are. For her, it was her being a woman. And she was like, you have a double whammy. You are a woman and you are Black. I'm going to show you how to be completely you, but also get everything you need from every situation. So that mentoring was amazing for me. And that really uh, changed how I was able to navigate my career. Wow. Yeah. We definitely have to learn how to finesse that. So you had culture shock, but a lot of us are still the only ones in that room. So it's not like we have points of reference or someone saying, hey, they're going to do this or they're going to be intimidated by you because you're intelligent or you can put some sentences together or you know how to articulate and you know how to put your verbs. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, just the basic- shocking. It's shocking. <laughs> just some basic being, Right. I recorded a careers episode, some of the podcasts I just could do just on my own. And just going back through some of those experiences, even when I was really young, people being intimidated by me and wanting to fire me because they just didn't know how to manage me. And I'm thinking like, I'm 26 with two kids. I need this job. I'm not trying to upset anyone or mess anybody up. I'm trying to get paid and take care of my children. Like, like, we're just about to put, trying to put one foot in front of the other and our power. I'm trying to think there was a meme that I saw that said, sister, your voice is not too loud. You're just in the wrong room. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so on that note, is that what transitioned you into thinking about entrepreneurship? Yeah, I always had entrepreneurship in my blood. People on every single review that I would get, they would talk about how it had an entrepreneurial spirit. I owned everything. I treated bosses like clients and projects like I was getting paid. And I was always thinking about, I was always finding ways to save money and taking on things and trying to better every company I worked for. It was like, the company was my own. Like I owned it. Like, oh, I, like is it, you wouldn't even think I was like an administrative assistant or something. I remember one year I was an executive assistant and it was a vice president of HR for a large Fortune 500 company that went out. They might even be Fortune 100. It's a pretty big company. They went out. She went out on maternity. And do you know that no one went knew that she went out on maternity? I did this woman's job, like legit for whatever, the three months. It wasn't until she started showing back up and meetings and we were like, wait, that, and she started saying, oh, and they were like, wait, what? So that just always was me. And so it wasn't so much that I was being mistreated. 
Although I did have a specific instance with a, so that amazing German boss, she got promoted. Their headquarters was in Germany and she went back to her home and who they brought in, they, it it was interesting. And so that ended up being a situation where I was laid off, wrongly so, but it was the catapult to me getting to my next, I usually don't even talk about that. I'm like, yeah, they, they were definitely going through a merger, but I wasn't stupid. Let me put it like that. They were going through a merger, but it was convenient because there were enough people that were happy that the old boss who loved me was gone, that they began to be like, oh, this is perfect. Let's eliminate, air quotes, Maz's disposition. And they notified me. I looked and I was like, really? Like I kind of knew. And then I remember going into my office and sitting down and saying, I don't have to take this. I'll just find another job. And in that moment, I remembered about the company that I wanted to launch. I say all the time that I heard the voice of God be like, no, it is time for perfection events. And I was like, whoa, I almost forgot about that because this job was so great. It was seven years after I had the vision and the name for the company. Seven years later is when this transpired and I was laid off and I finally launched it. Girl, God was just saying, you don't need to be there no more. No, enough. (laughs) You do not need to be there anymore. We hold on to these jobs like they are the last thing that we can get. And once you are separated from a job, I was too. I tell everyone, any boss that I have now needs to always be concerned. The fact that I've not had a job before now has liberated me to know that I can thrive in any situation. I love the work that I do. I'm passionate about the work that I do. I enjoy my team. but it always has to fulfill me because if it doesn't, I can move on because I've been without a job before. That's right. So God was just saying, girl, go get your own thing. Go do it. Exactly. I feel like it had to happen that way because of how I am in terms of ownership. I would get so deep into it. This is my company and I'm not profiting. I'm just taking a salary, but I'm so deep in it. Like it's mine. And it was a great job. It's a great position. And sometimes those really comfortable, really amazing positions are the ones that hold it. Because we get comfortable. We get a little complacent. Yeah, it was. I'm telling you, it was the best salary I've ever drawn. I was best friends with a girl in fleet management. She was throwing me a new car every week. I was on a rough. She was like, oh, this executive is only one. You can have this for three months. Oh, this Ben's just came back. Take this for three months. Listen, I'm like, who's leaving this job? (laughs) It had to be God. God had to let that happen. I wasn't going anywhere. It was what? Seven minutes from my house. I wasn't going anywhere. (laughs) all the accoutrements that keep us shackled exactly exactly so tell us about your entrepreneur journey transitioning from corporate america there are a lot of us that have fear in doing that so how did that work yeah so the company that i launched was perfection events i was by myself i didn't know i understood entrepreneurship I understood the hard work and all that. There were some things I didn't know though. So of course, the first two years, I was just scraping at straws, trying to get folks to know who I was and trying to get them to believe in me, to take a chance on me. I always believed I would be successful, but honestly, right around the two-year mark, when I was running out of savings and the nest and all of that, I was like, Lord, is this going to work out or am I going to have to get another job? Now, I know I can. I always can. 
but do I have to? <laughs> is where I was at that point. And thank God things just ramped up really quickly shortly after that. And then I was good. And actually one thing I always tell people is that that happening was because I made an investment in some training that I knew I needed. People always ask me, what's my number one piece of entrepreneurial advice? And there's two, invest in yourself, invest in yourself if you need something. And number two that I always say is knowing when to fire yourself. So I invested in a virtual assistant because I needed to fire myself from the administrative duties so I could focus on sales. That was the issue. I was trying to actually sell and falling down. I would miss appointments from people that may have wanted to do business with me because I couldn't do it all. And I was too prideful. I was being very prideful because I'm like, you're a former executive assistant to CEOs. No one can be a better assistant to you. And then it was like, it's not about that Mazda. It's not about that. You need the support. You can't do it all. So that was a part of the journey. Grew that business. Very grateful for that. So now we're over a decade in. It's solid. We've done six and seven figures in that business. And so I'm grateful to have that experience to even still be going strong during COVID. And then this year during COVID, which gave an event production company and many others a little more time on their hands. I had the opportunity to launch a program for other women entrepreneurs just to give them some of the information I never had as I was going along. I learned everything the school of hard knocks. You're not going to ask my dad or ask, but they're different businesses, different things, different operations. And I wanted to provide that information and I want to see other women go further and faster than me. I love that. And we have that trope that we don't help each other, that we hoard information, that we don't want to see each other thrive. And look at you, you put together a whole program for women and still come on Instagram and give us inspiration. What inspired you to do that? So the pep talks, (laughs) the pep talks (laughs) were because I do that for myself. That's what I do every day. And so as I did it for myself and as I would do it on the podcast and as I would do it for friends that would call me because they needed something and I would just go off on my thing and they're like, girl, you preached a word. You know, just, okay, I'm ready. And they would say other people could use this. And so finally I was like, okay, let me think about how to do that. They've been down a little bit only because I'm transitioning which platform I'm going to continue to do them on after the holidays, but pep talks are not over. I'm going to keep pep talking. Because women need that. We have to pour into ourselves. I love that. Yeah, no, it definitely. And I do a lot of that self-talk and I do my meditation, but your energy just jumps off off the screen and it's infectious. And I just wanted to talk back, actually. I love it. (laughs) So let everyone know where they can follow you, how they can get access to the Firestarter program and your podcast. Absolutely. So my podcast is Restrooms and Boardrooms. You can find that anywhere that you listen to podcasts. So you would just type in Restrooms and Boardrooms and it will come up. Or you can even type in Mazda Miles. I will come up. My podcast will come up. In terms of following me on social media, there are two amazing places to find me on social media these days. That's Instagram and Clubhouse. If you don't know what Clubhouse is, get on Clubhouse. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's got so many people with information like me. We're just giving out the game. We're just giving it out. Q&A for entrepreneurs. Any topic you can want, you can listen. It's almost like live podcasting. So I'm on Clubhouse all the time. Mazda Miles, at Mazda Miles. Anywhere that you want to find me, at Mazda Miles. Awesome. Awesome. Mazda, this has been a wonderful way to end my day with all your energy. I so appreciate it. I really enjoyed that conversation around mindset and getting over fears. That's something that's so intrinsic into the tapestry, in my opinion, of like African-Americans, especially those of us in the lower 48. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And for the audience to be able to see women 
who are empowered because they recognize that they do have that well-rounded, abundant life, that they don't have to expect the bad to happen, that we are destined and are worthy of good. So thank you. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. I know your words will resonate with the audience and I'm going to keep on getting my pet talks and I'll be following you on Clubhouse too, because it's been an amazing platform. I'm like, we need Clubhouse for Black folks. I'm telling you. We need to to figure out how to do that. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. (laughs)